Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Have you ever been promised something, but then you had to wait forever for it to happen? Or maybe it never even happened at all. Ladies, maybe you were waiting around for this one guy who kept saying he wanted to marry you, uh, but he never got down to actually asking you the question. Guys, maybe you bought into the promise of some infomercial saying that this product was going to change your life, but it didn't. That's a tough one. That one hurts us guys. Um, They make it look like it's such a good product on the commercial, and then you get it in your hands and you realize, this is junk. This is is no good. I hate that. Promises can be dangerous. They hold so much hope and commitment that it actually can become a real letdown if it doesn't happen. Promises that have to do with relationships or money seem to be the most dangerous. You're either playing with someone's heart or with their pocketbook. And that's not something to mess around with. You ever have a deal or a contract fall through? Maybe a deal for a house fell through. That stinks. I know about a year ago, I almost had sold a piece of land that that I still own up north. It was just a little lot that I had bought with the purchase of my first home, and we still have that lot. And I pretty much had an agreement on selling it last year. And it would have been nice to just kind of have that little bit of extra cash. And what happens is you start thinking about what you're going to do with that money when you get it. And then the deal falls through. And it's like for a few days, it's like there's this hole in your brain or this hole in your heart. Uh, You just can't quite get through. But then again, promises can also be super reassuring. Uh, For me, the promise of my wedding ring right here has always been one of the the most calming things that I can think of. Every time I look at it, it reminds me that Crystal's stuck with me. There's just nothing she can do about it. For real though, my wedding ring represents uh, a promise to me. A promise that I don't have to be perfect every day. And Crystal isn't going to just walk out the door and go find someone better. And that promise gives me so much rest. Promises can actually change us at the very core of who we are, especially when the one promising is trustworthy. A series that we're in right now at Central, it's called Move. And the idea behind this series is that when we move and respond to God's call in our lives, God in turn shows up in power. And today we're talking about promises, that there's a promise that doesn't have to cause us fear or doubt whatsoever. There's a promise that can lead us on to move towards God, and that movement then can introduce a move of God's power in our own lives in return. In this series, we've been digging into the story of Abram, a.k.a. Abraham. And we've seen God call Abram to a unique calling. We've seen Abram mess up. He's a man of many flaws, claiming that his wife was his sister because he was afraid that Pharaoh was going to have him killed because she was so pretty. Now, today, we're going to see a great promise. Uh, Picking up the story in Genesis 15, Abram has come through a miraculous victory over his enemies. His relative Lot had been taken captive, and Abraham took 318 trained men and routed his way to victory. Abraham has experienced God working for his good in a powerful way, but there's one big thing that he's still not seeing God bring to life for him. We start here in Genesis 15, verse 1. It says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. So right here, God starts off with 
a couple of promises. The first promise is don't be afraid because I'm your shield. And the second one is I am also your very great reward. The first of these promises really isn't very hard to understand. God is promising Abram that there's nothing that he should fear because God is the one who's going to protect him from everything. But what is it that he might need protection from? Now, I'm going to ruin the surprise from verse 2 just a little bit right here, but he needs protection from not having a son to, to take over his estate. You see, God had already shown Abram that he could protect him from warring enemies when he rescued him, him and Lot, in this major battle with a small number of highly trained assassins. But could Abram really trust God to protect him from the embarrassment of having no son? That had to be a harder thing for him to visualize right now. Now, the second promise, I think, is meant to, to kind of speak to that promise of God providing a child. God tells Abram, I am your very great reward. Now, God is appealing to himself right now. He's appealing to his character and his goodness. He's saying, Abram, remember what you have in me. I'm too good to let you down. And I think of it like this. Say you were, you were going on a date and you decide to take your date somewhere mysterious. Uh, it's a long drive to get there and they have no clue what's about to happen. And little by little, you start to see some doubt creep in. Uh, your date's getting a little anxious. Uh, like thinking like, what the heck did I get myself into? Where are we going? How is this experience going to go? And what might you find yourself saying? Uh, probably something like this. Don't, don't worry. You're with me. You've got, you got nothing to worry about. It's going to be okay. It's going to be worth it. And what you're doing is you're promising to your date that they have everything that they need because it's your character is not going to allow them to get hurt something that they can trust. That's actually the essence of God's promise to Abram in this verse. It's almost like he's saying, take your eyes off of your fear of being childless. Put your focus in the promise of who I am. God's promise to Abram, it will be enough if Abram really knows God and trusts in his character. Abram should be okay with the promise and then let it be the end of the story. That's not often the case of how we deal with things. You and I, we usually have too many questions, and so does Abram. Now listen to what comes next. In verse 2 it says, But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? Now up until this point in Genesis, God's interactions with Abram had only been one way. Uh, Abram actually hasn't responded to God when God has spoken to him. He's listened He's done his thing and that was it. But now he decides that the first thing that he's going to say to God is a complaint. His complaint is all about his own feelings of worthlessness because he has no one to give his inheritance to when he dies. Now, that's, that's not actually accurate, is it? He, he didn't have a son to give his inheritance to, but Abram knew exactly who would get his inheritance when he died. It was going to go to Eliezer of Damascus. He probably sat around for days, just days after days, thinking about how his inheritance was going to go to this kid who wasn't even his. And this was his great shame. Who is Eliezer of Damascus? Eliezer is a servant of Abram's. He's from Damascus. Get that, okay? He's not even a born local. Uh, he's probably from another culture and has all kinds of different customs and rituals. But why him? Why is he the one who's going to take over Abram's estate? Well, it's because Abram and Sarai, his wife, 
they were already really old and having no children, they needed somebody that could kind of take care of them. So Eliezer was likely an adopted servant of Abram and Sarai, adopted for the purpose of caring and tending to their needs. He was the closest thing that they had to a son. But Abram felt worthless. That's really what's going on here. Uh, God tells him not to be afraid, that he's got God on his side, and Abram essentially spouts back, you can't really give me anything that matters because I'm worthless right now. Even, even if you give me something, what's the point? I have, I have nothing without having a son. I have nobody to give it to. And talk about oozing with self-pity, right? This is going to challenge any teenager and how they talk to their parents and they, and they get upset and they've got the self-pity thing going on. Abraham, Abram's got it working right now. Doubting yourself like Abram is doing here is dangerous. Any kind of doubt tends to make promises hard to hear. When doubting yourself, promises seem undeserved and unbelievable. Now think about it. When you feel ugly, promises of love and adoration, we don't hear them as well, do we? Uh, when you feel like you can't perform at a job or a sport and you're told that you've got what it takes to get it done, it's hard to accept it. Doubting yourself is one thing that will put you in a constant state of questioning God because, frankly, it's just going to seem like he, whatever he has to offer you, it's not deserved and you can't believe it. That's a hard place to be living in. If you find that you're not trusting God for something and it's because you simply can't believe that, that what he's promised is, is coming to you, maybe the person that you're not trusting in actuality is yourself. Maybe what you need to do if, if you want to trust God again is ask him to help you see yourself as he sees you. If you don't believe in your own worth, it's tough to believe God who is the author of your worth. Believing his promises actually starts by believing what he says about you. I think there's no more powerful prayer than to ask God to help you see yourself as he sees you. There's no more powerful prayer for a parent to pray for their child than that. When we see ourselves in the right light, when pity and shame is thrown out of the equation, it's so much easier to feel worthy of the promises that we've been given. And the truth is we're worthy of those promises because God says that we're worthy. So what is your, what is your one great shame in life? What do you sit around ruining about? What about your life gives you a bitter regret and causes you to greatly doubt your own worth? These are the things that will keep you from fully believing in God's goodness. You gotta believe that God is not ashamed of you like the way that you're ashamed of yourself before you're ever gonna begin to believe that all these other good things that God says, that he actually wants to do those things in your life. Now let's go back to Abram for a little bit. The conversation with God continued. Starting here in verse 3, And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. See, one thing that happens quickly is that the shame that Abram had, often, it often turns into blame, and, and that's what happened here. But just go watch a movie if you, if you don't understand what I'm saying. A kid grown up in a home with a parent who isn't there for them, they get caught up doing shady activities. And they get caught and they're feeling the weight of the shame of their actions. And then in a short time, that shame turns into anger at the parent who wasn't there for them like they were supposed to be. Sometimes the blame game happens with me, with my daughter, Abby. Uh, 
My daughter, Abby, she loves baking stuff. And I love eating her baked stuff, okay? Yeah, particularly her chocolate chip cookies. I'm telling you, this girl has perfected the chocolate chip cookie at this point. It's like this light, delectable, mm, I could eat 17 of them at one time kind of chocolate chip cookie. And so I'll have like three or four or seven of them and, and then the shame hits. And I know I've failed my body and I feel the sloth start to creep in and then the blame and the anger hits. And I'm like, Abby, why did you make these today? Why'd you make so many? It's all your fault I ate 14 of these cookies. And my shame, it really quickly turns, it morphs into this blame game. Shame turns into blame. And that's what we see in Abram's story. It doesn't take long at all. His shame turned into blame. He goes from, I remain childless, to you have given me no children. And in that blaming posture, the promises that were given no longer simply feel undeserved or unbelievable. They actually feel downright empty and cold. They now feel cold because in my, bl in my blaming posture, I've decided that God hasn't in fact carried out what he said he would. I begin to see him almost like he's a liar. I've gone from looking inward and being mostly insecure about why my life hasn't gone exactly as I'd hoped to now looking outward and wanting someone to get mad at. That person might be someone I love or it might be God. But again, doubt of any kind makes promises hard to hear. When doubting God, promises seem empty and cold. Uh, I want you to think about this. Uh, shame so often leads to blame, which is in essence a deep-rooted doubt of someone else. You know, a kid fights a parent and says that they're ruining their lives when in fact they kind of know that they're making some bad choices on their own. We don't like to be the cause of our own problems. So a natural human response is to shift the blame. But what if we never even let ourselves get to shame in the first place? What if we could simply trust the promise that God gives us that we are found loved and accepted and purified in Jesus? What if we could simply trust the promise that God has a plan that maybe we don't totally see right now? What if shame doesn't even creep in? And then there's never even a need for us to blame somebody else. See, God does something powerful for Abram. What he does is he begins to take away that shame. He tells Abram in verse 4 that Eliezer, that servant, is not going to be his heir. He's going to have a son who's going to come from his own flesh. Abram forgot something really important. He forgot that he was not yet a finished product. It's easy to believe that he was. Like, he's thinking, man, I'm 75 years old. I haven't had children yet. Ugh, looks like I'm a finished product. But he wasn't a finished product. And because he wasn't a finished product, shame was actually a premature response to a yet unrealized final outcome. Now, I wonder how often do you and I feel shame at some part of ourselves before we've actually given, given God the time that he wanted to bring us to completion. Or maybe we felt shame over a failure that God actually wanted us to go through for our own growth. And then jumping into that kind of premature shame, we found ourselves becoming bitter and becoming angry at others or at God because we didn't want to deal with the idea that we actually weren't good enough. No one is meant to live with that idea. That idea that we're not good enough. No one can handle that thought. Of course, that thought is going to lead to a strong blame game and it's going to lead to a lot of anger. 
Can I get you to see what happens next in this passage here, though? God convinces Abram that his shame is premature and there's, therefore there's no reason to blame God. And so that opens the door for an even bigger promise than the, than the previous promise. In verses 5 and 6, God promises a crazy big promise. Starting in verse 5, it says, He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to Abram, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed God. He believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Uh, there is no longer just a promise here for Abram to have one son. This is a promise that God is giving for a whole nation to come from Abram. Descendants so great in number that it couldn't even be counted. And what does Abram do? The Bible says he believes it. The guy who just a minute ago thought that he was a loser because he had no kids. The guy who just a minute ago thought that God was cold and an empty promise giver. The guy, that guy now thinks that God will pull through and give him something that see, should seem even more impossible. Do you ever want to know the secret to believing God for even bigger and better things in your life? Do you want to find that promise, uh, <laughs> the, that no promise is too big of a promise for God? Let God take away the voice that says you're not good enough and that says that he's not powerful enough and he will have opened the door for you to believe he can really do anything. Listen, Abram chose to believe God. He had no reason to believe God other than the fact that God said it. And if God says it, you can take it to the bank. There's not a lot of things in this life anymore that we can just take to the bank because someone says it's so. You can't choose what to wear tomorrow based on what the weather person says. Uh, at least not in Wisconsin. Get up, decide that day what you're going to wear, and then maybe in the middle of the day change your clothes because everything has changed already. You can't bet all your money on a team to win a championship because one player says, man, this is God's team. He's pulling for us. We're going to win. My 1998 Vikings, they did that exact thing and they lost miserably to my unending chagrin. But if God says it, it's different. If God says that you're forgiven because of what Jesus did for you on the cross, then you're forgiven. If God says that he'll make your paths straight when you submit to him, which he does say in, in the book of Proverbs, then he'll make your paths straight. If God says that it's time to call that family member that you've been fighting with for years, then it's time to call. If God says that he'll get you through your financial mess, you may have no reason to believe that it's possible, but his promise is always a good promise and you can take it to the bank. Pun kind of intended there. But let me just say this, just because God makes a promise to you and it doesn't come true in this life, that doesn't mean it's a broken promise. Abram was going to see the promise of having his son come true in this life. He wasn't actually going to see the promise of having so many descendants that he couldn't even count them all. That wasn't going to be, be fulfilled during his lifetime. But still, he believed God. You see, we live in the already and the not yet. We are already, we are eternal, eternal beings. The promises of God will be delivered, but it's going to be delivered on his timing. And we also know this even more. The promise of all promises, the promises of hope and grace given through Jesus has already been carried out for us. That is the promise that's above every other promise. Jesus is our great hope. And when you find yourself longing for other seemingly unfulfilled promises to become fulfilled, rest in knowing that Jesus has already fulfilled God's promise for you. 
The promise that you are his beloved, so loved and worthy that he was willing to give up his, his own one and only beloved son for you. Just so that you, also his beloved, could always rest secure in the knowledge that you are his and he is yours. That promise is assured. We live in a world that there's lots of promises that are made that they're contingent on something. We make promises as parents. Hey, if you kids do your chores, you're going to get your allowance. And kind of the same thing at work. If you guys come to work and you work hard, you're going to get your paycheck. Teachers, if, if you guys study hard and you perform on the test, then you're going to get a good grade. I, I don't know of many times where a teacher just gives a good grade for the kindness of it. We live in an if-then world. If you do this, then this is going to happen. Do you know that there are a lot of people who never give in to a relationship with God because they can't come to grips with the if-then statement that God gives us? And it's because the if-then statement is too easy. And here's what that statement is. If you believe in Jesus, then you'll be saved. Acts 16.31 says it just like that. It literally says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. That is a promise. It's a promise without a stipulation. You don't have to do anything for it. You, all you got to do is believe, but you don't have to, to get a certain grade or do a certain amount to get payment for the work. Belief is all it is. That promise really started all the way back at Abraham or Abram. God gave Abram some amazing promises, children as numerous as the stars, possession of a land as good as the world could provide, flowing with milk and honey. God didn't give these promises in the context of an if-then statement. He just promised it. And part of that promise was this, Abram, there is no shame in the person that I've made you to be. It wasn't until Abram let go of his shame that he could fully trust any promise that God gave to him. It wasn't until he could let go of his shame that he could even let go of the blame that he aimed at God. And today, maybe there is a particular shame that you've been battling in your mind. Maybe that shame has even morphed into a deep-seated anger toward God or toward somebody that you've come to believe has gotten in your way from experiencing the promise of the life that you really want. Today is a better day than any day to let God begin to work on your shame. Maybe it's the shame that needs to be addressed uh, before a certain anger in your life will ever get healed. Let God heal that shame today. Let God heal that shame so that you can begin to rest in his good and perfect promises. Promises of protection and deliverance. Promises of healing and forgiveness. The promises of God are life-giving. But in order to believe and embrace those promises, you have to believe that you are worth those promises. And the truth is, you, me, all of us, we are worth those promises because God says so. Why don't you guys pray with me? Lord, I thank you so much for the promises that we've been given in Jesus. Some of those promises maybe we, are, we don't even quite know right now. Maybe we haven't looked into your word enough to understand just how much you've promised us. But God, help us to learn what those promises are that you give to us. God, I pray that as, as we go about our day, uh, every day this week, help us to, to hear you speaking promises into our life, promises of reassurance. Uh, and God, in those moments, help, our, help us not to, to look at our shame or find things that, that we can blame you for that keeps us from hearing the promise. 
God, help us to believe your promises. Help us to know that those promises aren't given from a cold heart, but from a heart of one who loves us and who intends to give us everything he says to give us. God, I thank you that we have your son, Jesus Christ, who went to the, the cross for us, giving us the greatest promise of all, life with you. Help us today to trust you. And Lord, I pray that you take away the shame that we've got bottled up inside of us that maybe has also led to blame. God, free us from that, from that bondage to live in the promises of Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.